0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week as we study some more of your questions, try to find answers to what you're interested in. And that's what we do on this program. We want to encourage people to study the Bible. and We found one of the best ways to do that is just ask what you're interested in and then answer those questions from the Bible. So, we get all kinds of questions, very detailed ones about what this verse means, and uh, some general ones about life and living, what's the Bible have to say about this problem. So, we're happy to tackle any kind of questions that you have that we might be able to find an answer for in the Bible. So, use the phone number or the website at the bottom of the screen, get in touch with us anytime. let us know what you'd like us to talk about. And that's what we'll cover on Know Your Bible for the next 30 minutes. Let me introduce my partner here, Toby. Toby, welcome back, Toby Levering.
1: Good morning, Steve glad How are you're you? here
0: and ready to go and studied up. I we think are. you got the first question after we give one to our viewing audience. And we got a trivia question for them every week. Today's is uh, What was Matthew's occupation? Matthew the Apostle? What did he do before he became an apostle? And we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you know what Matthew did. All right, Toby, get us started.
1: Well, I've got kind of a babbling question here. A viewer asked the question specifically, uh, is speaking in tongues babbling? Well, that's a pretty astute question. Uh, I'm not exactly sure uh, what perspective the questioner asked this question, but the direct answer to that is no. Biblically speaking, uh, speaking in tongues was never uh, babbling incoherently in some unknown language that no one understood. Uh, There aren't very many cases in the Bible of people speaking in tongues. Uh, I just found a few in Acts 2, 10, and 19. There are some others mentioned indirectly, uh, but the direct ones that are mentioned where the Scripture gives an account of what happened, uh, in those occasions the people who were speaking in tongues were speaking in known languages. Now, the difference in their speaking known languages is that they were not natural languages. They were not languages that they had studied previously. Uh, they were given by God the ability to speak in a language that they had not learned, had not studied, and yet was clearly understood by others who did speak it <coughs> naturally. It was a a very real (coughs) miracle. It was not a learned behavior or a studied behavior. It was something uh, uh, that was given by the Holy Spirit, and it was a a miracle uh, evident in some parts of the (coughs) early church. But in every instance of speaking, it was always an actual known language. Uh, Let's look at one of those instances, just a short part of it, from Acts chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. We'll look at it together on the screen. At this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Just a few scriptures from that entire story shows us that the speaking in tongues was a clear language. That it was something that Galileans, uh, who were native Galileans, wouldn't have known how to speak. Uh, unless they were trained or studied, and yet they hadn't done that. And here they were speaking in all these different types of languages. Well, so it did happen in the Bible. Does it happen today? No, uh, it doesn't. It's just a gift that was given to them in the early church. You look at 1 Corinthians 13. Paul said there would come a time when that would... PASS AWAY. SO WE KNOW SPEAKING IN TONGUES uh, WAS ALSO A TEMPORARY GIFT. SO THAT ANSWERS THE QUESTION AND HOPE THEY uh, ARE HELPED WITH THAT. ALL RIGHT. THANK
0: YOU TOBY. YOU MENTIONED THAT YOU DIDN'T KNOW WHAT PERSPECTIVE THE PERSON WAS COMING FROM yeah. uh, AND YOU ANSWERED it the Bible speaking in tongues, right. and speaking in languages, right. was not babbling. Right. Uh, there's an interesting verse in Matthew 6, 7, where Jesus uses the word babbling yeah. uh, for praying. Do not keep on babbling, and yeah. And pagans did that. Uh, they thought they were speaking in a language that their sure. God understood. Sure, Uh But... They actually was they got drunk <laughs> first usually, uh, and then just babbled. Right. And Jesus said, "Don't pray like that." Right. Uh, so there yeah. is that kind in the Bible, but Jesus condemned it and said, "Don't do it." Yeah, good point. Very very
1: astutely pointed out. <laughs> so
0: that might be what the visitor or the yep. viewer was thinking about, but two very different things. Right. The, exactly. The real gift of un, unknown languages and the gift of babbling was not a gift.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, next viewer wants to know uh, says, I thought you taught it was not right to drink alcohol. Uh, but in one answer, I got the idea you thought it was all right. Uh, please comment. So, my viewers heard us answer this question a number of times and uh, thought that one time we kind of approved of alcohol drinking. Uh, we may have given the wrong impression. Uh, probably what we were answering the question the viewer's talking about. Uh, was a question like, uh, is it sinful to drink alcohol or will you go to hell if you take a drink of alcohol? Now to those kind of questions we have to say, uh, no the Bible does not say uh, that taking a taste of alcohol uh, is a sinful thing or will send you to hell. The Bible says a lot of things about drinking alcohol and we have to take all of them together uh, to get the picture of what it says. So. I kind of put together a little chart of what the Bible says about alcohol. Let's just go through that and maybe we'll get the big picture. The Bible speaks very positively about drinking wine sometimes. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Drink your wine with a joyful heart. So it says it's a good thing. And back then grape juice was about what wine was. And it was the only alternative they had to to water. So it was a really good thing. But the Bible also speaks very negatively about uh, drinking alcohol. Proverbs 23, uh, especially at verse 32 and around there uh, you can read about drinking alcohol. It says, who has woe and and who's got a, a bad time? And it says at the end it stings like a viper. So it talks about alcohol and all the bad things that alcohol will do to you. Uh, The Bible does say that drunkenness is sinful, so Christians should never get drunk. Uh, It says that we shouldn't be mastered by anything, uh, so we shouldn't be mastered by alcohol. We know that alcohol does master a lot of people. And then finally, the Bible talks a lot about our influence as Christians. And certainly, drinking alcohol is not necessarily a good influence in our society. Uh, There are some societies in the world where it's different. Uh, So that's what the Bible says altogether. Now put that all together, and I personally believe it's best for a Christian to completely abstain from alcohol, it just fits all of those things, it avoids the danger, it keeps your influence good, Uh, doesn't give you any chance of being mastered by alcohol. Uh, So that's our overall position on drinking alcohol, and I hope that clarifies it for our viewer.
1: Okay, the next uh, viewer wants to know, uh, they ask the question, I heard the Bible say not to, quote, mix the tribes, unquote. Does that refer to races or what? Well, in the Old Testament, there are specific verses where God is speaking to his people, the nation of Israel. Now, if you don't know, Israelites were the descendants of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob. Uh, had a wrestling with, match with God and was renamed Israel. And those descendants were his people. They were a nation. They were in covenant together. <clears throat> one part, uh, part of that covenant that was God was very specific about <clears throat> is, I am the Lord your God. I am the one God, the true God. There are no other gods before me, no idols. Uh, and you are absolutely to revere my name and you're to revere our relationship the problem is that gentile nations that is any any human being not of a descendant of abraham isaac and jacob Uh, They were of a different nation, and many of those nations uh, were polytheistic. They had lots of (coughs) gods and uh, uh, lots of idols and many false gods uh, that they worshipped and adored and revered and sacrificed to. And, of course, God had a big problem with that. So many times in the Old Testament, he'll warn his people against intermarrying. Now, there are folks today who take those scriptures out of context and simply apply them in the wrong direction. And they say it's not right for a Caucasian to to marry an African-American. It's not right for a a Mexican person to to marry a a Caucasian or or something of that. And that's just absolutely horrible interpretation of these scriptures. Uh, One, it's out of context. It doesn't apply uh, today. That was under the old system and the old law. Two, it was for very different reasons had nothing to do with skin color or culture. It had everything to do uh, with the religion. And what would happen when they would intermarry is they would pull those God's people away from God. And pull them away from Him. We can look at one of the instances that you mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 3-4. through 4. This is one example. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods so the real problem here with intermarrying and it goes on to say then the anger of the lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly so see the real problem in this intermarrying had to do with religious reason reasons and not racial uh, reasons so uh, those were the verses uh, there are some others in there we're not going to look at all of them but in the church today we have galatians chapter 3 verses 26 and 28 Uh, which uh, under the New Covenant says, For in Christ Jesus all are sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in christ jesus uh, there are no stu- such restrictions today about <clears throat> intermarrying you do need to pay attention uh, places in the new testament which talks about do not being unequally yoked a believer with an <laughs> unbeliever that's probably the closest thing but uh, nothing about inter interracial <clears throat> marriage or anything of that sort so that answers the
0: question all right thank you toby <laughs> take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. We uh, enjoy studying the Bible with you for 30 minutes each Sunday, but uh, we don't get very many questions answered. So we have some free Bible study materials that we're happy to send to you. And over the years we've had thousands of folks uh, call in or get on the website and ask for this course. Uh, It's a good basic course is what it is. It's not any uh, denominational church ties or anything like that. It's just straight from the Bible and you'll learn a lot about the Bible. Uh, The first two lessons you see on the screen right now, the Old Testament and the New Testament. If you don't know the difference between those uh, you're going to have a hard time studying the Bible. So that's where we start with these lessons. And you learn a lot about the Old Testament, then a lot about the New Testament, and then what the difference is between them. Uh, And it's a great foundation of Bible study. So uh, a good way to study the Bible, a good way to get some basic Bible knowledge. Uh, we think it also has a pretty good chance of helping you form a habit of Bible study uh, where you get to where you like to be in God's Word and learning what He has to say. So we think it's a great course, and we offer it absolutely free of charge. Uh, Just give that phone number a call or get on the website and say you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you right away, and uh, we think you'll enjoy studying the Bible with it. Let's see, i got the next question, and it's about (laughs) baptism. A viewer says, Paul said he was not called to baptize, so baptism is not a means to salvation." Well, those are two separate statements and unfortunately they are not related in any logical way. Uh, The first one is true, the second one is not true. Uh, That's what's called a logical fallacy to say because of one thing uh, something else has to be true. And if you don't make the right connections, if you don't think through the logic of it, uh, you can make some mistakes. And this viewer has made that mistake, uh, drew the wrong conclusion from the fact that Paul was not called to baptize. Uh, I tried to think of a similar uh, statement to help illustrate it. And here's the one I thought of. Uh, My mother-in-law does not drive anymore. So a car is not a means of transportation. Uh, you'd look at me and say, well, that doesn't make sense. That's a logical fallacy. Uh, well, it is a fallacy. Uh, the first one is true, and the second one is something that just doesn't relate to the first one at all. That's what our viewers made the mistake of doing, said Paul was called not to baptize, so baptism's not a means of salvation. Uh, let's work through this. We've got to read the context. Uh, if there's one thing we say over and over mm-hmm. on this program, it's the word context. Uh, don't just pick one verse out. We have 1 Corinthians 17, let let's look at it on the screen. Paul did say, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Now if we just take that verse, you might say, Oh, okay, Paul's not supposed to baptize, so baptism's not worth anything. But if you read the context, Paul speaks very highly of baptism. He says everybody in Corinth was baptized. And what he's talking about is the problem that they had in Corinth that they had their favorite preacher. Uh, he said, Some of you like Apollo, and some of you like me, and some of you follow Peter. And what they were doing was dividing over who they liked best as a preacher. And they had a bunch of disunity in Corinth. And Paul says, One problem with that is who baptized them sometimes. They were following the preacher that baptized them. And so he said, I'm thankful that I didn't baptize many of you. Uh, Christ didn't call me to baptize. That's not what I'm supposed to do. I'm preaching the gospel. Then he said, I did baptize some of you, uh, but he generally let other people do the baptizing so that people wouldn't get attached to him. So you read the context and it becomes crystal clear. He's talking about a problem of division. Uh, He's not condemning or uh, denigrating baptism in any way. He's just saying that's not my primary purpose. Uh, His to baptize people. As an example, uh, at our church we have had a number of baptisms every year and uh, I do fewer and fewer of those. Uh, when I was young uh, it was kind of important uh, what preacher baptized you. <laughs> you were kind of tied to that guy after he <coughs> baptized you. Uh, but more and more we are letting fathers or some relative of the uh, candidate baptize them and it just kind of has a special tie there. Uh, so, when I read what Paul is saying, I say my job is not to baptize people. Sure. I preach the gospel and let somebody else baptize them. That's fine with me. Exactly what Paul is saying. He's not uh, condemning baptism in any way. So, I hope that straightens it out for our viewer.
1: And of course, there are many places where Paul specifically wrote about being baptized. <laughs> yeah. So, I, you know, to take this one verse out of context, and build a whole theology on that one verse ignores the totality of what Paul said elsewhere and Jesus said oh, yeah, for that well,
0: matter. Like I was going to say more important than what Paul said. Sure. The last thing Jesus <laughs> said was, "He that believeth and is baptized shall sure. be saved." Sure. Uh, so that proves the logical fallacy right there.
1: Usually, when people ask us a question about is it this verse or this verse, our answer is yes. <laughs> we got to we got to make those things synchronize. Uh, scriptures right and. Uh, Pick and choosing is not good doctrine. (laughs) All right, let's go to the next question. A viewer uh, asked this question You said Jesus created the world. I thought God created the world. Uh, Please explain. (laughs) Well, this is one of those questions, uh, kind of, where, you know, did Jesus create the world or did God create the world? And the answer is yes. Now, that's very hard for us to understand because we think almost one dimensionally sometimes. But Scripture is very clear that Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit are all one together, and yet they're all three distinct parts. They all work together. They're all God in nature, and yet they're all separate entities working in different ways. So let's look at Genesis chapter 126. This is probably uh, the first time we have a mention of this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. All right, so that tells us very quickly and very early on that there's a plurality in this idea of God, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now, we call this the Trinity. Trinity is not a word found in Scripture. It's just a word we use to try to explain how three are one and one are three. And I have a picture of that, a chart on the screen, kind of helped me understand it, that shows that that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit uh, are god and yet each of them individually is not related to the other is not they're all different they're all unique i was trying to think of a of a modern uh illustration of this and the best i could come up with was the idea of the government of the united states now the government of the united states have three branches those three branches are the executive the judicial and the legislative you know the president uh, congress and the supreme court well, they're all the government, they're all in charge, and yet they all work independently. They all have different roles and different functions, and yet any of those places where those guys work uh, all say government buildings. <laughs> now, that's a poor illustration, probably falls apart pretty quickly. But it tells us uh, quickly that God has, uh, 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 gives us an idea of how the Trinity works with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We know that all three were present and participating (coughs) not only in creation but all throughout the Bible story. You can look many places and see them acting uh, together and yet differently. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God. He's speaking here of Christ, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. And so we see clearly that Jesus was present (coughs) at creation, God was present at creation. It's because they are the same. And I know that's a mysterious, probably not a answer we can give fully in three minutes, but it is true. You look at Scripture and it's very plain on that matter.
0: It is a little difficult to explain, but that's what the Bible says. And yep. that's why we believe that sure. That doctrine. I, I help myself sometimes understand it by uh, instead of saying God, when it puts G-O-D in there, mm-hmm. I, I say deity or the divine nature. Mm. And that because we usually associate God with God the Father. Right. And it really isn't. It is the divine nature. It's the deity that we're talking about, the, the whole trinity. Uh, so God said, let us. Yeah. man Deity said, let us, the right. three of us, uh, make the image. So I substitute that divine nature or deity, and it makes it clearer to me a lot of times. That's
1: a good way to think about it. Yeah.
0: So when they asked Jesus, are you God? Yeah. Uh, they were asking him, are you the divine nature, yeah. or do you have... Deity, and he said, "Yeah, yep." (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's see. Crown question here. What's our viewer want to know? Does it tell what we will do with our crowns? Revelation four ten says the elders cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. Well, we're assuming here that there are literal crowns in heaven. Uh, the Bible talks about a bunch of different kinds of crowns. I put a few on a chart here for you. The Bible talks about how we, we receive a crown of righteousness. Uh, we receive a crown of life. We receive a crown of glory. I don't know if those are all different kind of crowns or if uh, uh, we literally will have a whole hat rack full of crowns or if that's just a symbolic way of saying uh, we'll get the prize of righteousness. Uh, Symbolically we'll get the prize of life, the reward of glory. Uh, So we don't know if they're literal or figurative, uh, but the direct answer to our viewer's question is that the Bible doesn't say what we'll do with ours. Uh, The only example of talking about crowns is the one that they gave, that the the elders will cast their crowns at the feet of Jesus. So if we get a literal crown, uh, I don't know exactly what we'll do with them, except wear them I guess. be proud we got them. But <laughs> all right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit Church of Christ near you. We're sponsored by Churches of Christ, and uh, we like to mention some each week. Today it's time to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, Northside Church of Christ. Uh, the program, uh, the congregation that produces this program, that Toby and I both <coughs> attend there. Uh, we'd, a, lot of, we, a lot of times we have visitors drop in and say they just wanted to meet us or wanted to see where Know Your Bible came from, and we're always happy to meet any of our viewers anytime. So drop in and visit us sometime at Northside Church of Christ. 10 o'clock is worship on Sunday morning. Uh, we've got a lot of activities for a lot of folks, and we'd be glad to have you visit any time or visit any other Church of Christ near you. Uh, they're the ones that put the program on for you, and uh, drop in and say hi to them sometime. All right, Toby, got time for another one of those. Yes,
1: a viewer asked the question You said, uh, compared God to a father punishing his children. A father would not condemn his child to eternal damnation. So, how can a loving God do so? Well, uh, in past times, we have compared God to a father and his children because there are many times in Scripture where God uh, pictures that, in fact, Jesus told a very famous story about the prodigal son and the father who loved him. And I understand where the viewer is coming from. They're trying to to compare this picture of a father and his children, and then understanding that those who reject Christ uh, cannot receive eternal life and will be sent to eternal <coughs> damnation. Uh, and they have a hard time seeing a father being able to send anyone to hell. Uh, well, my answer to that is I think the Father doesn't send anyone to hell. He absolutely has done everything possible, including sacrificing His own Son that we might receive life. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 9, which is not on the screen, uh, but it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Uh, instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. Uh, Scripture is very clear. The Father never wants to send His children to eternal damnation, but He has given each of those children free will. And He will not force them into heaven in the same way He will not force them into hell. They must choose to accept Christ, to believe on His name, to repent of sin, and to put Him on in baptism. And if they don't make that choice, then their choice the uh, uh, idea of eternal damnation was not the Father's choice, but the children's choice. Oh, it is right to think about God the Father, and a very loving one who's done everything He can to save His children. Let's look at Proverbs 3:11 and 12, which is on the screen. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom He loves, as a father of the son in <coughs> whom He delights. I hope that explains that concept a little better.
0: Okay, let me add one thing to that, Toby, and then we'll go to the trivia question. Uh, the other problem with explaining that is the viewer started out and said, "You compared God to a father, yeah. and that's our comparison that's our trying to illustrate and all that yeah. God is not perfectly yeah. equal to a father <laughs> right, 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 uh, right. you can't illustrate God with an earthly picture <laughs> like that we We use illustrations like that uh, to try to picture him and try to, and he does too he yeah. compares himself to a father, but he's not exactly like one so this right. viewer says an earthly father wouldn't do this right. well god is not an earthly father <laughs> uh an earthly father doesn't create and design his right. creation uh he doesn't perfectly know a son's heart right he doesn't uh, he's not perfectly just i mean there's all kinds of things where god is different from an earthly father that's true you have to so, think differently about so <laughs> our, <laughs> Our poor earthly illustrations help us understand God a little bit, but they uh, they don't describe Him perfectly. And so of that's course, the other problem with yeah, that one.
1: Sure. And <laughs> it makes it hard sometimes people who have bad earthly fathers very, or poor earthly fathers to... Love God and to accept Him. Yep. You know, you got to understand that there's a little bit of disconnect there <laughs> and yep. not to take it too far.
0: All right, let's see if we can answer the trivia question. It was what was Matthew's occupation? What did he do for a living? He was a tax collector, believe it or not, in Matthew 9 9. Uh, his other name was Levi, and he was sitting at the tax booth when Jesus came by and called him and invited him to be an apostle. And Give up the job of tax collecting and become a fisher of men. I'd say that was a pretty good promotion myself. (laughs) We're glad you've been with us today, and we've got some more questions coming up. Uh, Lots of good ones we've got to get to in the weeks ahead, so we'll invite you to be back with us next week. We'll try to answer some more of them. Until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area.